Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real life property, business, and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this Women in Property series that I've been running for a couple of weeks now. Um, And as the weeks go on, I'm speaking to some really amazing ladies in property. Um, And it it kind of amazes me that how many ladies are doing such fantastic projects and the scale at some of the projects these ladies are working at and the knowledge they have. And, you know, it amazes me that they don't actually put a lot of this out onto social. They like to keep it all kind of hidden in the background and not talk about it. But the point of this series is just to bring it across that, you know, we've got a lot of women out there that are doing big things. um, And, you know, we always see men posting about this development, that development. But, you know, when this series drops, you're going to see that there's some there's some really, really big projects that women are involved in. They just don't shout about it enough. Um, And um, I'd like to take full credit for this uh, series, but I can't because the women in property idea actually came from my wife, uh, who said to me, hey, James, you know, you, you haven't got too many women on the podcast and you need to get out there and speak to some ladies because they're doing some amazing things out there uh, and I think it'd be very very beneficial for the listeners. So today I'm joined by Jess Leader from Next Level Living. Welcome Jess to the J2 Hub podcast. Hey James, hi nice to see you. Great, thank you very much for joining me. Jess, most people ask about your background to start with. I'm going to flip it up and ask, I'm going to work it backwards and ask you why do you do what you do and what is the end goal for you in property? That's such an interesting question to start <laughs> with because actually re- I've realised recently that why I do what I do um, has a different reason to what I, I've learned, you know, that I'm doing it for a different reason than I originally set out. So what I originally set out to do was create um, financial freedom for myself, that, that well-used, well-loved phrase, um, because having worked kind of in a corporate role for a long time and not really owning my time, I really wanted to change that. So originally it was about um, creating money for myself, creating freedom for myself and also proving to myself that I could do something for myself um, where I don't come from a background where that's that's the the norm. Um, So I really wanted to prove that. And then as time's gone on, that makes me sound like, like a really old woman, but you know, in, in the few years that I've been working in property, um, I realized that that's changed and there's quite, there's, there's two things really. Firstly, it's about, um, I don't, the, the proving that I can has shifted quite a lot. That used to have quite a lot of external validation in it, what other people thought of me, what I was showing other people I could do. And that's shifted a lot more to what, I think of me and what I am my own levels of satisfaction in myself so there's a kind of change from like an external to an internal um, assessment and judgment of myself I suppose so that's changed but also it's not just about finance anymore I've realized that there's a massive connection between um, me providing homes for people and also um the nurturing I suppose side of me that really wants people to feel safe and to flourish and to grow and to develop and you know putting those two together I want to create as many environments as I can where people can feel like that and really kind of live out their potential. No that's a that's a great why I mean um, I touched on it briefly with you earlier Um, 
just going through your Instagram feed, you can tell uh, when you post something that you very much consider a space for a person um, and how they're going to interact with that space or how they're going to live in that space, where I think a lot of the developers make a mistake or they just look at square meter sizes and think, you know, I'll have a bedroom, 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 bathroom, I'll make X amount. And they don't really care about the person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've just, as you know, I've literally come from a site meeting now, but below this is like dust, <laughs> building site covered, shorts. But we were talking, one of the things we were talking about, this is a flip actually, it's not an HMO, but um, we were like, okay, so when you come in the front door, where are you going to put your shoes and your coat? Because otherwise, like, how does that work? How do you live in this space? And where do you do, you know, your daily things that are just automatic habits? How do you, how does this space facilitate the ease of those things? So yeah, very much so. Every detail is considered. Like, where do you hang up your coat? Where do you put your shampoo? How do you move around? How does the sound travel? All of those things, very much considerations. Some people, as you say, some people don't do them, and it probably is much less of a headache for them. But for me, I have such satisfaction and pride in knowing that I'm creating a space that works that's a big big important factor for me yeah I feel I feel I'm with you on that one I mean some of my early HMOs are they're not like that I'm not going to lie they are just rooms and they're just let out but as I've gone on this journey I've realized that you know you need to you need to live in that space and work it out yourself so one of the things I actually do is I'll go and spend a week in a building before it's starting to before we turn it into a HMO and then I'll spend some time in that building while stuff's going on so that I'm kind of interacting and also when it comes towards the end I'll spend some time in there like you say little things like shampoo you know you put an ensuite on and nine times out of ten you might forget to have some kind of contraption there that's going to hold all your goods and you know you can't expect someone just to have the shampoo at the bottom of the shower tray it just doesn't work for number one it doesn't look too great and you know number two it's just not functional so I see what you're saying in terms of kind of really uh, almost digesting the space yourself and working out how somebody's going to flow through it. And my wife's really good at this because she always says to me, James, I think you need to take a bedroom out and have a really nice communal space. And I'm like, oh, I really want to keep the bedroom. And then, you know, then when you start thinking about it, yeah, people, they've got to live together. And I think this is the difference of a HMO and a really nice co-living workspace, um, which, which you kind of refer to in your Instagram feeds. Yeah, I mean, it's things like, you know, in an HMO, do you want to put the the head of someone's bed literally the other side of a wall, which is a corridor or a walkway or a shower or something where they're going to get disturbed all the time, the front door's going to bang, or people are going to be brushing up and down the stairs with their stuff and it's going to disturb different shift pattern sleeps. You know, you have to think about those things because, yes, you know, it creates a really lovely environment and it, and it, but it creates from a financial perspective as well. It means that people are prepared to, to pay a little bit more rent. And also hopefully your churn and your, your tenure is, is higher, like well, churn's lower and tenure's higher, you know, they don't have the extra fat and costs of, of tenants moving in and out. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. It works financially and it works for the tenants and it's a really nice environment as well. So I don't know why you wouldn't, but as you say, a lot of people don't. And I've seen, you know, on suites where you can't walk to, you can't get to the shower because the toilet's there because it's so squashed in or <laughs> can't open the fridge door properly because it's too squished against whatever. So, yeah, just think about it. 
Jess, I'm laughing because where you said you can't get to the shower room because the toilet's in the way, I actually made that mistake in one of them previously <laughs> and you had to extend the wall out and it was a HMO officer that picked it up. So I'm laughing because I've actually done that before <laughs> where there's such a tight space and you think to yourself, ah, you know, I could squeeze around here, but you don't realise it's actually a slip hazard. It's a trip hazard. If someone falls yeah. out of the shower, they're going to hit their head. But yeah, I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> but then but that's the best way you learn you're never gonna make that mistake again <laughs> no totally totally so Jess you're one of those amazing people that has a job as well as a career in property now I hear it all the time where people say you know what I haven't got enough time to do this property malarkey you know you're a prime example of someone who's still working in a full-time job and you're running a property business can you tell the listeners what it is that you actually do for your for your full-time job and how uh, you made the transition or how you're slowly making the transition into into property for a full-time career? Yeah, sure. So um, I work in marketing. I've worked in marketing for 15 years. I've worked in different kind of types of uh, different kind of channels around within the marketing industry. Um, and when I, I actually don't work full-time anymore. Well, at the moment I'm furloughed, but um, I actually don't work full-time anymore. I, about a year ago, I moved down because of property. I moved down to four days, um, which has been an amazing change, just having that extra day. And also I'm lucky enough to, um, me and my boss have an, a, a long-standing relationship and she trusts me to work really flexibly. So I'm able to, to really choose how I apportion my time within a week um but that hasn't always been the case so there's been a lot of you know seven o'clock site meetings nine o'clock in the office lunch break on the phone to a broker you know evenings planning your planning your um viewing day for the Saturday making the calls on another lunch and then working late and weekends that's been I'm definitely not unique in that happening, but that's how I've done it. And I think that's how everybody does it. Um, and for a long time, I did everything. I've I've been outsourcing quite a lot of things for about a year now, which has also made a massive difference. So um, from being honestly overwhelmed and also honestly a lot slower in progressing than I thought that I would be in my head. And I was all fired up as, you know, I finished my education and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do all these things in two years. And I didn't. And that was really um demotivating for me but I think the but you know we all keep going and I think the realistic side of you know change having a having a life actually and relocating Mm -hmm. cities and and changing jobs and still having a full-time career it does take time out it's doable it's definitely doable and there are lots of people who've done more than me and lots of people who've done less than me and I think having those people who have done more is a good, um, is a healthy inspiration and an also an unhealthy comparison to where you are yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but outsourcing and realizing what I could free up from myself was a massive thing. Um, but since going down to four days, that's made a huge difference as well. And probably I outsource at least a day's worth of stuff a week to, to a VA or another. Um, so and, and at the moment, as I say, having been furloughed, I've been able to, to make quite a lot of changes in the business, which has been amazing, which is it's kind of like a dangled carrot of what it could be like if I mm-hmm. only did property. So that's been interesting to think about as well. A couple of things you said there, Jess, that I want to pick up on. Before I go, I want to touch upon education. But before I go there, you said uh, you talked about um, uh, using a VA and kind of subcontracting yeah. some foul and, you know, getting stuff off your plate. 
I'm very much for VAs. I absolutely love them. I took my first one off uh, on just a couple of weeks before we went into lockdown. And it is absolutely the best thing I've ever done in my life. I know about her life. I know 100%. And it's like, She's the first person I speak to in the morning and generally the last person I speak to at night, which is really bad when you've got a wife because it's like having a it's like having another wife in a sense. Like she knows so much about me. I know so much about her. And we just work really, really well. And she's from the Philippines, like a lot of people have um VAs from the Philippines. And she does so many things a lot better than me. And you know, you get into that mindset where you think, oh, you know what, I can do this really well. I can do it much better than anybody else. But what you realize is when you spend some time teaching a VA or, um, you know, putting together some kind of training program, you find that, wow, you know, for three or four pounds an hour, she has given me back two or three hours of my time. And ultimately, everybody goes into property and nine times out of 10, I hear from them. I want so much. I want time. My end goal is to have time to travel. And my my kind of thing to him is always, well, you could have time now. You know, you could get a VA for 20 hours a month and, you know, 20 hours over the year, you're gaining days and weeks. You can build time for yourself. What's your, what's your opinions on, on VAs? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm a total advocate of VAs. I understand that, you know, there's a few. I understand that people feel reluctant to let go of some things, but why? Why do you feel reluctant? Do you really need to do those things? You know, like the research or data analysis or bookkeeping or admin or emails or even, you know, your VA booking this time for us together. Why do you need to do that? You don't. It doesn't make you, doesn't take away your power or whatever. I don't know why people are so hung up to outsource so many things. I understand, you know, I'm quite, having been a project manager for quite a long time, I'm I'm a massive control freak. I don't, yeah, I'll hold my hands up to that. Um, But even with that, kind of trait it's so releasing and amazing just to not feel so much stress all the time and in having um in having a VA since having a VA um Tej asked me once if there was a return on investment for my VA and I don't have that but it's allowed me to meet with more investors or spend my time on much more valuable things like um learning the development plans of the cities that I've been working in, which I didn't have time to do when I was spending all my time trying to book viewings and analyze numbers and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have time to do all of that. So it's, it's elevated the, the type of role I play. It's that work on your business in your business thing, isn't it? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been absolutely game changing. And, and since I've, I've, you know, shared with a few people how, what I've, what I've done and how much it's changed my life, people have asked, asked me to, help them get their own VA and they're then realizing that actually the impact is huge and they wish they'd they'd done it months, weeks, years ago, whatever. Yeah, it's just an amazing feeling. I mean, I was very reluctant when I first took her on. But one thing I would say to all the listeners is if you're taking on a VA, do block out some time to really spend some time teaching them and, you know, putting some training manuals together. We have a Trello board where we manage everything through a Trello board. Uh, We've got videos on there, screen recordings. We record every Zoom call we have. Um, And it's just it's just building up this massive bank of resources. And we're actually in the process of taking on a second VA who's who's actually a bloke this time who's going to be doing some video bits for us. And it's just it's just so nice because, like you said, you get your life back. You're in control of your life again, you know, and you think um, 
sometimes I used to think like, oh, damn, I've got this podcast that needs to go out this morning. I can't go and do this because it's got to go out at six in the morning or it's got to do this. And you're just like, now it's just like, hey, Christy, can you deal with this for me? And she's like, hey, no problem, James. And before you know it, it's, it's done and she's got stuff scheduled up. And it's, um, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate like yourself um, to, to outsourcing. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's a really important thing that you said, a really important point that you made, which people sometimes underestimate, which is you can't just you can't just hire a VA and then go, that's it, they're done, they know what to do. Because like when you when you start any job, even if you're skilled in that skill set, you don't know how your new company wants you to work or how the processes and systems work of your new company. So there's still an element of training. So even if you're bringing on a, a skilled, experienced VA into your business, you still need to invest that time teaching them. These are the expected, you know, this is what my preferences are. You know, this is my criteria. These are the outputs. I expect these are the formats that we work to. And that's a two-way conversation to arrive at those things. But there still needs to be training. I think people sometimes feel overwhelmed at the idea of investing the time in getting to that point. But once you've invested the time once, as you say, then it's just off your plate forever. Yeah. And lastly, on VAs, what I say is your VA is only as good as how good you are in teaching them, because don't just think they're going to come on board and make your life. They do make your life fantastically easy, but you've got to invest a lot of time to make sure, like you said, they're prepped up. They know what they're doing, how they handle stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, so your VA is only as good as you are. (laughs) Yes. And actually, actually, I know you said one last point, but if I can sneak in another. Of course you can. Yes. Yeah, of course you can. I, I was in, so surprised about as a kind of bonus benefit, I suppose, of having a VA was it made me move faster. So having to give, I you know, once you've committed to a VA, they're planning their, you know, their income in their household each month. So you need to deliver them a certain amount of hours each month to, to work. And so making sure I had enough stuff yes there's repetitive weekly tasks but there's also other things so making sure I had enough work for her to do all the time um made me get through work more quickly in my business so I didn't expect that I was sort of accountable to her so if I didn't brief her or if I didn't have her information ready that wouldn't get done and I would sort of be letting her down which was letting me down because my business wasn't moving quickly enough so it's 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 propelled me I, I didn't know that there will be that level of accountability that would have the bonus of you moving more quickly through business tasks yeah it's been good it, it, it almost gives you a kick up the ass doesn't it to get yeah. stuff done that you would normally think oh you know what i'll stick this on my trello board and i'll put it into pending or up cu-. and it constantly gets moved around <laughs> and it's one of those like ones you get into my trello board jay <laughs> <laughs> no my mind's exactly the same you know there's always that one thing that's getting moved about and uh you know, as soon as soon as Christy came on board, it's like when you've got a seven o'clock meeting over in the morning, you know, you're either getting up at five or six to prepare for that meeting, or you're doing it the night before, because yeah. she's going to be raring to go with a load of questions. And if you're not prepared, you're just going to look silly. And you would have yeah. paid her for for a couple of hours on a zoom call. And you've actually got nothing done. So it gave me a massive kick up the rear end to get yeah. things in order. It really does. So yeah, if that's what you're if that's what you want in your business, that's a great way to get a kick up the arse. so Jess you mentioned education that you got a load of education and then you am I right you said for about two years you didn't really do anything with it no I did I I, perhaps I didn't explain that correctly I did do something with it straight away um but Mm -hmm. I moved at a slower rate than I thought that I would um and on in hindsight I think there was quite a few reasons for that partly 
um, I just didn't really believe in myself, actually. It's probably mm-hmm. the biggest reason that I didn't do as much as I could. And I think I underestimated how valuable the existing skills I had could be in a new career. And so I thought I knew less than I did. And that kind of paralyzed me a little bit. And I didn't really have the confidence to move forward and make quick enough decisions. And I, so in my, as part, I, I took a formal property education and, um, had a mentor and had a quite a strong network around me. So I had the support around me. I just, I, I, I can only surmise, I suppose that it, that it came down to, I didn't act confidently enough. I didn't have enough confidence in myself to move forward. And so quite quickly after my education, I, um, did, uh, an HMO. And so I sort of had, I got going, but my momentum was just so much slower than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you say you had uh what kind of would you say you suffered with a little bit of self-belief then you kind of just didn't Massively, believe you could yeah. do it okay which is really strange because i'm not an unconfident person I, mm-hmm. i'm not shy i'm not unconfident i have a level of belief in myself and um from being in a few sticky situations in life i know that when the shit hits the fan i always pull through Mm-hmm. I, you know, I always get myself out of it. That so for me, I, I've also learned that backing myself into a corner is a great way for me to move forward. Um, yeah. You know, or in a redundancy, you came up with a plan as an example of that. But um, there was just something. It was a different type of confidence that I didn't know I lacked until I wasn't really doing as much as I thought I would. Uh, but it was. It wasn't. I wasn't inactive. I was making the bookings for the viewings and I was analyzing deal after deal and I saw deals that stacked or I didn't I just didn't move I don't know why I just didn't move forward enough and I'm a very very analytical person and it was as though what switched for me in the last sort of year is looking at a deal and understanding the I've always understood the risks but I think I didn't trust myself enough to uh, overcome the risks I think it's that type of confidence as well. And now I'm like, okay, these are the risks. They might be the same set of risks, but I have confidence in myself to overcome them or turn a positive negative into a positive now, which I suppose I didn't necessarily have as a newbie. Um, And just, yeah, the belief. So partly I suppose that's technical knowledge and partly that's just self belief. And I think there was a lot of comparison that I was doing and thought I'm not as good as X, Y, and Z. And and that kind of, I put myself down a lot and I didn't really need to do that. I, you know, yeah, we need to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, before I touch on mindset, because that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, what's your opinions on mentors, coaching and education programs in the property in the property field? Because recently there's obviously been a lot of things in the, in the, on the socials and on, uh, on YouTube and people like to call them furus and all sorts. So it's, it's one mm-hmm. of those topics that always gets a lot of uh, uh, kind of a lot of hype. I mean, I'm, I'm an advocate for education and mentors. I personally have a mentor myself, someone who keeps me in check, uh, someone I can call upon when I need them. What's your opinions on them? I remember hearing you on a different hearing or podcast that you were on actually where you talked about in your print business how you wish you'd listened to your mentor earlier Mm -hmm. or brought a mentor on board earlier to have them to listen to in the first place um I I'm I'm a big fan I'm a massive advocate in choosing the right mentor but actually you know I think a lot of I think a lot of the support 
that you might need from a um from a mentor or coach doesn't necessarily it can come in lots of different formats it can come in a close network of you know a mastermind group or a mentor one-on-one or a group mentorship or podcasts or you know mindset gurus you can do a lot of things without invest if you if you if it's a blocker that you don't feel like you can invest in a one-on-one mentor which it sounds like we both have um there are lots of ways to get that but it's absolutely key um to to me in unlock you know you don't know what you don't know and you um yeah it kind of unlocks a whole nother level of looking at a project or looking at a a problem that you just didn't know existed which is fantastic and you can get that as I say in, in a lot of different ways I think at the moment particularly at the moment everyone's becoming a mentor or a guru or you can pay anyone for time to tell you stuff these days and so you have to be really careful and do your due diligence mm-hmm. on that person beyond the level you think you should um and I always I, I heard somebody say a while back you should always get a mentor who's doing the strategy that you want to do or strategies that you want to do who's just a bit ahead of you so you know maybe a couple of years or you know a dozen more deals or something not like 500 properties because it's about relatability and understanding your next step. And it's okay if your mentor needs to change from year one to year five to year 10, that's okay. Um, you don't need someone who can show you what you don't need to know yet for five years. I, I think it's important to get the right one for you. Mm-hmm. So how do you spot a good one and how do you spot a bad one then? I think, well, on the surface level, it, it, <laughs> are they doing what they say they can teach you to do? Do they walk the walk as well as talk the talk? Um, and I think I think we need to tune into our gut instincts a little bit and just mm-hmm. realise who's full of shit, basically, and <laughs> <laughs> try and filter those people out. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of fake mentors are quite good at sales, um, so it becomes harder to do that. But I think just understand that they are actually doing what they say they're going to do and talk to other people understand the reputation speak to some of their previous clients or mentees or whatever product they've delivered speak to the recipients of that product um and just get a bit of verification and do your digging i actually watched a really interesting due diligence um webinar a week or so ago and it was really they were going onto company's house they were looking at the directorships that mentor held and how the um the fluidity of the businesses that they're directors of and it was quite a thorough helpful way of using company's house and and things like that to check really that this person is as successful as they claim to be because there are this case after case of, of claims being made particularly on social media and it's just not true um so i think speak to people reputation do your background checks definitely and try to tune into your gut instinct as well yeah, I'm with, I'm with you on the whole gut instinct thing because, uh, yeah, for me, um, I needed to make sure that I could get on with my mentor. You know, number one, I didn't want someone who was going to really annoy me at the way they kind of delivered material or supported me. So mm-hmm. it took me a long time. I mean, there was probably nine or ten touch points and there was a lot of talking and a back and forth. And I was never, you know, I was never forced, ever forced to kind of sign up. There was never a hard sale there. In fact, it was... Uh, 
they kind of never they did follow up but it was never to the point of where some people follow up where it's just like oh you know we'll do you a great deal if you sign up today mm-hmm. uh it was none of that and i that's at that point i realized you know i want to work with this person uh i've spent a lot of time with this person and you know they they are doing what they say they're doing and yeah. i think i think for me it helps as well that um that she's a lady as well because for me i feel there's a lot more structure um she actually cares about what she does and it's not wishy-washy so to say it's it's proper kpis everything's measured yeah. uh, adopt, adopting good habits and some of the things my mentors help me do is get some structure because i'm one of those people that will start projects and just go on a gut instinct and think you know what i'm going to do this i don't really care i i know yeah. it's going to work out or i kind of think oh you know it might work out it might not work out but i'm confident it will so she's really helped me get some back end structure and kind of get me kind of caged in almost to kind of think in a different way so I'm with you on that thing that your gut's got to feel right about about a mentor before you take them on yeah she sounds awesome I think your point about spending time with that person to understand them is really good because you do you will be speaking to this person every week meeting them every couple of weeks or month or whatever you whatever you arrange so it's really really important but I think actually the pressure sell is a really good telltale sign of not because they're in it to sell. They're not in it to improve your life or add value. They're in it to add numbers to their own pockets. So I, I, I think, yeah, as you say, we've talked about what to look for, but also what to look against, and a, so to speak. And a hard sell is definitely something. If there's a reason, you know, if there's a time pressure, I, that would definitely turn me off. And I know that that turns, you know, investors off investing with di- in, you know, in particular deals. It's that don't pressure me. Allow me to hmm. make my own judgments. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. So my next question to you is: I want to talk to you about mindset. Something you said earlier, where you said you kind of doubted yourself. Um, what would you say helped you then build a strong mindset and build a mindset where you could, you know, do what you were planning on doing or do what you'd been taught to do? So many things, <laughs> so many things. And I think there isn't that for me, certainly there hasn't been one particular kind of moment or thing. It's just been layer upon layer of things. So I've got quite a strong um, daily routine, although actually I have to confess, I haven't been doing it as much in the last couple of weeks because I've had too much to do, which is exactly the reason that you should do it. And I felt more stressed than usual. Um, so the daily routine involves kind of um, exercise. It involves so my morning routine of kind of taking some time for myself, doing a bit of yoga, doing a bit of meditation, journaling, gratitude listing, goal writing in the morning. And then at the end of the day, reflecting on what I've done that day towards my goals. So that because, I, you know, I a lot of women do um because this is about women property a lot of women chastising I should have done this a lot of chastising a lot of I should have done this I haven't done this I'm you know I haven't done enough I haven't been good enough at this but if you actually spend a few minutes at the end of the day going today I it's my today I list and then I like I did this I did this I did this I'm like wow I did loads today and then you go to mm-hmm. bed feeling really satisfied with yourself and really proud that you know you are moving forward whether it's inching or running you're moving forwards um, I haven't been doing that as much recently and I have felt the difference. I still, I'm still I'm part of a um, switch yoga for a bit of a 7am hit accountability group at the moment, which is fun. But <laughs> um, so, so definitely routine. 
surrounding myself with people much more closely who I'm part of a couple of um, female property networks um, and one I'm particularly closely connected with is um, is called the Property Sisters, and mm-hmm. um, I you, I expect you'll be um, a few of us will be featuring on your show. Um, but that's what I've realised from that is uh, vulnerability isn't just mine. Everybody has it, and that and by having it, I'm not weaker or worse at something than somebody else. I just didn't know everybody else felt it too, and that kind of realisation that I'm not less capable. I'm just equally as capable, but everyone, you know, there is the ability to push through the vulnerabilities and the doubts and the questions that gives confidence in itself. Um, Getting annoyed with not making as much progress as I thought I would and going, oh, just get on there. That's that's been a a push. Um, And and having my job not necessarily, you know, I was made redundant a couple of years ago and that made me think, okay, that was a bit of a pivot in terms of thinking how much, can I control of my own life here? Which of course the answer is everything, but um, what am I going to do about that? And how am I going to restructure things? So there's been, there's been lots of things. So network belief, annoyance um, mm-hmm. enough now. And I do read a lot. I do a lot of self-development and yeah, that's all probably factored into it. I love how you talk about a morning routine because um, you know, I have a, I have a strong morning routine as well. Uh, you know, like yourself, it involves meditation, it involves gratitude and prayer, because I think you you often forget that you've actually got so much, you've got so many good things in your life that you're not really thankful for. You're always kind of looking and thinking, oh, I've got to do this, I want to do this. But if you take a moment just to step back and you think, you know what, I'm actually really grateful for this particular person in my life. For me, I'm really grateful for my two sons, you know, and it's little tiny things that you acknowledge every day and you sit there and I do that first of all. Well, no, actually, I start with maybe 15 minutes of meditation where first thing in the morning, I just want that space for myself. And I try to explain it to people. And I say, it's really, really weird when you start because your mind's all over the place. It's wandering. It's thinking about fire doors. It's thinking about bathrooms. (laughs) But then as you go on, something really weird happens. It kind of, your mind just gets lifted to a certain place. And those 15 minutes are just so special because when you finish and you open your eyes, it's almost like, ah. I'm ready to start the day now, you know, I'm ready to go. Can you've taken that time, you've not looked at your phone, you haven't jumped straight into work. And then off the back of that, I'd normally start with a little run or a, or a, or a gym session or something, because then you physically got yourself going. And then, you know, you look at your watch and you think, God, it's only half seven or eight o'clock in the morning. I've done so much. I'm winning. I'm really, yeah, really winning. Yeah, you feel like such a boss. Like this today, um, so we so this morning for example so we started recording this at 9 30 in the morning and me and chris were like so we've, we've been for a run we've done our exercise we've been to the builder we spent an hour and a half with the builder we're coming back now for this for, it's half nine in the morning we are winning at life today you know so mm. yeah it does make you feel great and then it gives you momentum into the rest of your day planning as well time planning is a massive thing um you know aligning my goals with my actions and actually diarising things that are specifically targeted to a certain goal, that's actually also made a big difference. So I'm a big planner and, you know, making sure that if, you know, this quarter I want to attract um, a certain number of deals, a certain number of uh, amount of investment, a certain number of new partners, a certain number of opportunities, whatever they are. 
actually okay breaking it down and going that's going to require this much effort of me on these focused areas I'm doing that on Monday that on Wednesday that on Sunday blah 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 that kind of thing and that actually was a massive um, um, mechanism when I was full-time employed in a very strict structure as well Mm-hmm. I think I don't know how I jumped from what we were just talking about to that, but <laughs> somehow in there was a logical connection from what you said before. Yeah, my, my daily routines and, yeah. and going into. I'm, I'm with you. I think you need to you need to plan your day because if you don't plan your day, your day's going to plan it for you, and you know yeah. you're probably going to end up having an unproductive day. So, like yourself, I need to plan my day because I've got children. I've got to spend time with my wife. I've got to do things. And you think, you know what? It needs to be there. And it's almost quite sad because my wife says to me, she goes, you have everything planned to the nearest 30 minutes. And it's like, look, it's, it's not because I'm, you know, anal about it or I'm, you know, I'm kind of fixated with it. It's just that I need to make sure those slots are done and I'm protecting my time because yeah. when I do sit down in the evening, I want to make sure that I've done everything that I've you know said I was going to do or and do or, you do you always get to the end of the day having done what you said you were going to do not all the time no no sometimes I might only get 70% in or 60% in but then like you say Jess you look back at the day and you think you know what maybe I overestimated that yeah. day because I got a hell of a lot done yeah um, so my to-do lists have gone from being quite long to being probably about four or five really focused in-depth tasks that work on the business rather than little nitty nitty stuff. And um, one of the things I've done is I've turned off all notifications on my computer when I'm working because you know what it's like. Instagram goes, Facebook goes, email goes in and you're like, oh, I've got to check that someone said this or what's he talking about? What's this person talking about? So you really have to plan your time. And I think it starts as early as when you get up and how you get yourself into the correct mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. How important how important is fitness to you? Really important. Because <clears throat> I think for a few reasons, um, running gives me great ideas. And like, you know, if I'm angry, I need to do exercise. If I'm frustrated, I need to do I need to move and kind of do something quite physical. So like, you know, one time we, what, me and my boyfriend had a row, so I left the house and I went to the climbing wall and I came back. I was completely rational and ready to, you know, talk about the thing again, you know, or if I face something difficult, I, I can feel in my mind when I haven't run through for, for a while or, or moved for a while, definitely. Um, so I think it's about mental health in a massive way. And also I think it's about your standards and your level of commitment I think you know there's there is that phrase how you do one thing affects how you do everything I think if I let myself down on this what what else is it okay to not do so you know yeah I think mental health and standards and commitment I think it's all of those things and feeling great I feel happiest when I feel strong and healthy and that comes from you know um exercise and diet that's when I feel happiest yeah, I mean, ultimately, I say to people, look, no one's going to love you like you're going to love yourself. And sometimes you have to be a bit selfish and just, you know, spend some time on yourself developing. Yeah, you know, do some self development, because, you know, as much as your wife loves you, or your husband loves you, ultimately, no one will love you as much as you love yourself or give yourself that self care. So it's very important mentally, physically, and like you say, through your diet as well, to be, uh, you know, to be prepped to be the right person you want to be moving forward. Yeah. That's interesting. I think some people would hear you say no one will love you as much as yourself. And some people would pause on that, I think, and think about that. 
Mm. That's an interesting statement. Yeah, because, you know, it was, I suppose it was kind of like, you know, self-reflection for me when I lost my business, looking in the mirror and making that realisation and saying to myself, look, James, you can't blame anyone. This ultimately is your fault. You know, when things go wrong, it's your fault. When things go great, it's your fault. You need to be fully accountable to yourself. And it was very, very painful for me to do that. But now, you know, when something goes wrong, I know that I know how to deal with that emotion because my mind's been there before. And I can look at myself and say, no, this is your fault. Stop blaming other people. This is your fault. But like you say, when things go great, when, you know, when I completed a marathon, I look in the mirror and say, James, you're the man. You've done this. You know, you said you were going to do this. Have some self-love, you know, love yourself because everybody else is going to say, yeah, it's a great achievement. But you, in deep down, you know how much of a great achievement it was. So it took me a long time to kind of be a little bit selfish and spend some time on myself and love myself. Uh, Because like you say, you kind of forget to do that and you forget to take care of your mental state as well. Uh, You can get up in work quite, quite a lot. And all these little things play a kind of massive impact towards it. Yeah, definitely. So Jess, I want to ask you some questions in relation to women in property. And in particular, when you started in this field, have you ever felt any gender discrimination? It's a, it's a, it's a prominently man field where you've got a lot of men in contracting, you've got a lot of men as brokers. Have you ever felt that yourself personally where you may have been talked to differently or looked at differently or a contractor thought, ah, a lady, I can charge her what I want? Do you know what? It actually has, yes, I have, but not in a building site context. So in, in a building site context, any kind of vulnerability that a, or opportunity that a trades will have seen in me will have probably come more from my inexperience, you know, to start with, not really knowing, you know, the technical, well, anything really. Um, So it probably came more from that than the fact that I was a woman. And also at the time I started, I lived in London and I think there was a lot of, oh, you're another London investor coming up here, whatever. So I think (laughs) that those two factors were probably more of an opportunity for, for, um, treating me differently than than my gender but the environment that I have definitely felt it has been in networking and you know I was a lot of the time that I was going this isn't necessarily always the case and I think it's changing but I often felt um, certainly physically outnumbered in networking scenarios um, and then um, perhaps uh treated a little bit differently or not quite taken as seriously in a networking situation so that was that has been noticeable and i think probably compounded by the fact that i felt um um was outnumbered made me feel a little bit more vulnerable so that probably was a bit of a confirmation bias of the fact that if if someone was not giving me eye contact or including me in a group conversation as much I probably noticed it more for feeling that I was outnumbered physically um but yeah that that situation much more than actually a building site but Mm. it's just not it's just not pleasant to have to fight for your place somewhere certainly Mm. Uh, but I think that's becoming less the case and I think a lot of women in property are starting to club together and make a bit of noise together to say we're here and we do great stuff so include us or we're going to include ourselves actually it's not really a permission thing it's just a hap- it's just happening mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah 
It's weird that you say that because a few of the ladies that I spoke to have said the same thing. Networking events seem to be where blokes are just there saying, oh, I've done this, you know, I'm yeah. in this development and I'm doing this. And, you know, somebody we know mutually actually said it. She kind of said to me the other day, she goes, I'm standing there listening to the shit coming out of this guy's mouth thinking I'm working on projects that are 10 times bigger than you. And you're kind of just brushing me off as just a lady who's at this event. Yeah. yeah. I totally empathize with that feeling, but also women don't want to network like that. We don't brag. We don't show off and peacock to each other. That's not how we do. We're interested in each other. We ask what each other are doing and we look for ways. I think well, certainly in the networks that I'm in, we look for ways to connect helpful people or support each other in that. We don't look, we don't network to tell. We network to offer and support as I say, in my experience. So it's entirely different. So in a room where people are going, I've done this, I've done this. I wouldn't do that. I I wouldn't want to stand there and go, this is all the stuff I've done. Please tell me that I'm great. I wouldn't want to do that. So Mm -hmm. again, being in an environment which doesn't have the same kind of conversation is another reason why that doesn't quite gel. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Networking events. I I kind of feel um, I'm, I'm very much a people person. I like to talk to people. I like to find out what people do. So when I'm at a networking event, it it may start with a couple of people talking then you get other people just kind of hover and join the group. And I'm of the mindset that, you know, if somebody is coming in and joining the group, I want to stop and just put the light on them and say, Hey, who are you? What are you doing? You know, and don't, cause it, you know, we've all been there. I've been at networking events when I first started and you feel really, you almost feel like, oh man why are they not including me i'm here for the same reasons yeah. it doesn't take a lot just to stop and say hey hey who are you nine times a ten you don't even have to ask their name because it's on the name badge you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's i'm very true. much about including everybody and and whenever i engage in conversation i want to know about the person before what you do yeah. um and i've made some really really great friends from networking events and it's nice because once you go to a few you become a face that everybody recognises, and I suppose uh, my face is one that you don't forget. Do you have a brown guy with a beard? <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I do think it's about the people there, and you, ne- you know, <clears throat> I suppose. I suppose that, again, links to validation because, you know, if you think I'm only successful and worth being in your conversation if I've done a certain number of things, and so again, that's you'd never know the value of a person that might not come from an obvious place the value of a person is a horrible thing I'm I'm sad that I just said that but you don't know how you might be connected or helpful you know in a reciprocal way to each other with by by the judgment of oh you've done no deals or you've done a hundred deals or or whatever or you make x you know you you never know that it shouldn't be taken at face value Mm-hmm. no I'm with you I'm with you so Jess HMOs seems to be your main strategy here What do you think is the future of the HMO market? I've had mixed opinions from a lot of people, a lot of people scaremongering. What do you you say post-COVID? What's going to happen with HMOs? That's a massive question because HMOs come in all different categories and there's all different shapes and sizes of HMOs. Um, I think... I think, oh God, I don't know how to start answering that question, but I think there will still be demand for HMOs is my, the first and foremost thing that I want to say. Um, in a professional capacity, I'm talking about first and foremost because that's I work in 
professional HMOs at the moment. Um, I think there will still be capacity. I think that as jobs are becoming a little bit more transient, people will move around a little bit more and that will drive demand for HMOs. I think as people are downsizing and changing what they can afford, HMOs will remain popular. Um, But also we have to consider, you know, financing of HMOs and I think banks are being a lot more <clears throat> well I don't, I don't think banks are being a lot more cautious about HMO funding so I think that will change um, how we assess HMOs and um, this, this kind of financial structure of deals I am glad to see that out of COVID so it and there's a lot more of a spotlight on social housing category of HMOs and vulnerable um, vulnerable tenant category. I'm really glad to see that. I've um, It's an area that I've been looking at for a while and I've been working with a, a housing provider for not in property um, as a board director for a while trying to understand that industry because I want to move into that now in property. And um, so I'm really pleased to see that that has, been, has had a spotlight shone on it Sadly, I think that a lot of people are, a lot of HMO landlords are moving into that sector for financial reasons, for the security. But if it ends up in the same end result of more provision, solving that problem, whilst the morals aren't quite there, the output and and the supply increasing is is a great outcome from that. Um, A lot of people are talking about student HMOs and, you know, the fact that universities are partially closing for a certain amount of time or we don't know about the timings of those, the reopenings. Um, and that's giving some people fear factor for their student HMO um, portfolio building. I personally would continue, I don't own any student HMOs at the moment, but I'm continuing to look for the right opportunities in student HMOs because, you know, uni, going to uni, well, I think everyone who's been to uni who's listening to this will know that going to university isn't about studying 100%. You want a lot of experience, let's put it that way. You know, so you don't want, you want the experience of life and living away and it's that perfect bridge from home to independent living as an adult and the fun of it and, you know, basically up to all sorts in, in our student <laughs> HMO. Let's be honest, it was awful. Um but yeah, I think so. The demand will be there from from a student perspective, just because of lifestyle wishes, as, and universities will reopen. So and are reopening. So yeah, I think all there. But it just we need to be more um, thorough and in how we're assessing deals in terms of. I'm working more closely with the lenders, I think, as well on on what values they're giving and and what areas and all that kind of thing. Lots mm-hmm. more consideration and less assumption, less just taking things for granted, I think. Yeah. I so know a lot still... of people, sorry, I know a lot of people, yeah. a couple of people that you've spoken are focusing. I think the size of HMO is a thing as well um, in terms of are you looking at the, the minimos, the sort of just like six, seven beds, are you looking at the 20 beds? So I think there's a lot of people making decisions in that kind of, on, on those lines as well. Mm. Mm. I mean, I know my personal strategy, I never go above a six bed. I just feel it's on the right kind of medium where six students can get together. Or it's, you know, even when we rent to contractors, you're probably we, we find it's normally five to six contractors that rent together. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a nice manageable size. And you can get a decent, you know, you get decent room, decent living space when you create a six bed out of a kind of two, three story house. Whereas I think when you start going 
bigger and try and do that in a house uh you start becoming one of those cheeky landlords who's trying to split up and starts looking at minimum sizes and thinks okay this is just on the verge or this is just under i'll see if the council will approve it um so yeah for for us it's always been six beds because it's just a number that works nicely and has done in the past yeah and what are you thinking what are you gonna are you gonna change anything about what you're doing are you keeping um i i think for myself it's um We've got a multiple strategy with HMOs. I mean, our most recent project that we're just about to get into is predominantly for students because the houses are 300 metres from the, from the university. That's partly the reason why we went into it. But again, we've spoken to our lettings agent and you know, she said to us in her last 30 years of experience in the area, she could quite easily fill that with contractors, professionals. So she's confident she would have a tenant for it and that makes me more confident. Yeah. But then it's again, like you say, there's that whole uh, social aspect as well where uh, vulnerable people or, you know, handing it over to a housing association or whatever. Um, so we're, we're, we're thinking more in the sense that we're planning with way more exit strategies yes. on these rather than just Not thinking it's a student HMO and we'll be absolutely fine. And what I'm finding is we're having to leave a lot more money in a deal as well. Um, yeah. whereas previously we weren't and you know I think people are silly when they say oh no money in deals because I've only ever been able to do that once and that's been in a rising market in London where I built a new house other than that I've always had to leave money in a deal yeah and I think that's that do you know that makes it hard sometimes when people promote that all the time because you know speaking to investors and setting expectations about not all you know the majority of deals that that I'm doing are going to have some money left in and you know some investors or potential investors that I've spoken with that's not their expectation based on whatever limited knowledge they've they've got so that can be very misleading and also the expectation of all your deals being you know um, all money out deals are another reason why somebody starting in property would think that they're not doing it right like if you're you know, or they're, they're not, they're not, I don't know, they're just, it could be another confidence knocker for someone who's just getting started, who thinks that they're not finding good deals because there's money left in them or there's too much mm. money left mm. in them. I and I think people, first. they overlook a deal as well because I've said to people in the past, I said, okay, you've got £75,000 left in this deal, but it also generates you nearly £5,500 rent a month. You know, yeah. when you take all your costs off, and you're still left with twenty seven, twenty eight hundred pounds in your pocket, or close to three grand, for seventy five grand left in. I go, when you work it out that way, that's a bloody good return, you know. And you're yeah. you're sitting on a decent a decent project there, and then you've got a you know you got three or four years before you're you've completely paid yourself back. You need to start looking at it in different ways. Don't just yeah. be blinded by what you hear out there by people saying, "Oh, no money in deals. Get all your money out. You can do yeah. this. Recycle your cash," because it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yes, someone pointed out to me recently that often it's trainers who say that's possible. People who are selling courses say mm-hmm. that selling that dream. Yeah. I always say, come and speak to me and I'll tell you that I've always left money in, apart from one that rose very quick and it was in London, in a trendy part of London. That was my uh, my little gem, but I don't think I'll ever see one of those come along again. <laughs> no, you know, great that you had it, but, you know, probably, as you say, you know that that's not normal. So, mm. it's have a balance. 
Jess, I want, it brings me to the end of the podcast, but there's one, well, there's a couple of last questions I want to ask you. Um, as we're focusing on women in property, what advice would you give to say, um, you know, a young lady out there who's thinking about getting into property? She's worried she may not be taken seriously. She's worried that it's, it's quite a man heavy field. Uh, from your experience that you've had, what would your advice be to someone who's just sitting there on the borderline thinking, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? Um, I would say uh, you can go on, do it. Um, and just to seek the right type of people who will build you up to and, and not make you feel um, inadequate or, you know, look not, not treated equally. I would, I would just say you definitely can. You just need to find the right support network around you build the right support network around you sorry and um if you aren't sure whether you can or you can't you never know from thinking about it so just give it a go and if you can then you'll realize well you can you will be able to then you'll just be able to keep going with it so it's that's i think that's with anything if you wonder whether you can or, or not try and see and then you'll show you realize that you can mm. and just believe that believe that you can you know something that i've just i know that i can i i know that i can i finally you know, realize that I am just as capable as anyone else who's doing all the things that I want to do. So just believe that you can. And it's true. Now, fantastic advice there. Um, Jess, if you could go back to your 18 year old self, what's two bits of advice you would give yourself? Ooh, you that one on me, James. <laughs> I've got one more that normally kicks people off, actually. <laughs> what two bits of advice? What, 18. I was probably quite cocky at 18. Um, I would say build your life. This is looking back on how I then acted as a young adult. So build your life based on what you want for yourself, not what you think other people think you should do or would make other people feel happy if you did. That's number one. And the other thing is um, probably what you want is out there, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. No, that's some good advice. Lastly, this question throws everyone. What's one vice or guilty pleasure that you just cannot live without, something that you must do? Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> I'll probably as soon as we get off the call, I'll probably think, oh my god, obviously it's that. There must be something like a I feel awful that I can't think of a thing. Maybe when you get to the end of the week, you've had a whole hard week, it's just something you gotta do, or it's something particular food. Um, I mean, I do I do have a bit of an issue with biscuits, but I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to come back to you because I can't think of. There will be so many things that I do that. Oh, are please do, because I have had a few people message me after saying, "Oh, James, I should have said this," and then I can include it in the show notes anyway. Yeah, I do because I can't. There will be. I'll just ask my boyfriend. He'll think of a million. And <laughs> <I do. laughs> so, Jess. Lastly, if anybody wants to connect with you or find out what you're doing, follow your journey, reach out, maybe ask you a question. If there's a young lady out there looking to get into property and she really connects with this podcast where can they find you uh the place the channel that i'm on most is instagram i'm on jess underscore leader um yeah that's the place to find me best 
But I would love for people to come and have a chat and find me. No, that's great. Jess, thank you very much for joining me on the J2Hub podcast. I really appreciate your time. I know you were super busy today. Um, and I know this will get some really good listens because, you know, when you've recorded a few and you just think, oh, that was a great one. Oh, that was not so great. But, you know, I think you've given some very valuable information in there. And, um, you know, I reckon it's going to connect with with some not only young ladies out there, but some, you know, people on their journey having certain issues, kickstarting and getting started because you've come out with some really, really good stuff there to start with. So thank you once again for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed talking with you so much. It's been really great. <laughs> thank you, Jess. All right, take care. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.